1: Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I'm Danielle Akuye. Now let's introduce our two experts for today's show. And joining me now via Skype is Luke Winchester of Meriwether Capital. Hi Luke. And Henry Jennings of Marcus Today. Good afternoon, Henry. Hi, how are we all? We're Well, hopefully we're all good. Well, it's a Friday, eh? so that's always a good way to uh, start the call. And we've got some uh, great stocks. So let's have a look at our first five stocks that uh, you have picked today. And we have EVT, which is the old event entertainment, just renamed Anson Resources, McPherson's Champion Iron Ore, West African Resources. But before we get to those, Let's look at the stock of the day, which is my Magellan Financial Group. Now, this is uh, really interesting because Magellan has appointed former Janice Henderson Co-Chief Executive Andrew Formica as its chairman, and it works through turning around the company. So they're basically looking to turn around following a 57% drop in full year profits, and in today's results, funds under management dropped to $39.7 7 billion as of June 30, compared to $61.3 3 billion a year ago. Its management and performance fee revenue also tumbled as a result of this decline in FOM. However, it has declared a dividend of almost $0.40 cents per share and a special dividend of $0.30. Cents. And CEO David George said, "We have made a solid start to implementing our five-year strategy and have laid a foundation that can return us to growth in time. Investment ideas are being brought forward earlier and priorities more efficiently." He is stepping down from his additional role as Magellan's chief investment officer in what the board described as a return to its former business as usual structure. So Magellan. stock is up strongly today. Is this the turnaround story that I think UBS from memory have been calling for a while now? So, Henry, share your thoughts on this one. Is it just a lot of short covering or is this the turnaround?
0: Uh, hi Danielle. Uh, well, I guess there is a certain amount of short covering. It is a ginormous move today, eighteen uh, percent higher. Uh, there's only around uh, six point nine million shares shorted, about three point eight percent. I think the significant thing for Magellan, apart from the special dividend, and who doesn't love a special dividend? Let's face it, that's uh, always good. The, the yield, therefore, does give make it quite attractive, and I guess they are on the right track. Now, the important thing for Magellan is that the performance of the funds is good. The big thing about funds management is you've got to get your wiggly line of performance above the market wiggly line of performance. And once you do that, and you do that consistently, that will attract money. And to attract money, you need to have a marketing machine behind you to attract that money. Now, there is no doubt that the Magellan marketing machine over the years has been pretty impressive, to say the least. In the rockstar days of Hamish uh, Douglas, of course, uh, it was cranked into overdrive. And as a result, we saw funds under management, 100, $110 billion at one stage. Of course, that is now a, we are in a shadow of its former self, 39 odd billion. But the important thing is the performance is improving. The management seems to be on top of things. Special dividends. Now, before we get carried away with this, uh, because we have seen... Uh, A lot of volatility in the market recently with these results and some results, they get a big spike on the result and then they fall away afterwards. So it'll just be interesting to see how we react on Monday. But certainly this is a much better result from Magellan. Andrew Formica uh, coming on board as well. He's quite well respected in the industry. So that is a positive as well as the chair and uh, as I say, it is all about funds performance. Once you get that going and you can crank up the marketing machine, you can get funds under management up. Uh, also, there's the potential for m and activity, which uh, they did allude to as well today. So uh, an interesting result, a much better set of numbers, I think, in terms of that performance number. And uh, there's undoubtedly a bit of short covering, but um, looks all right.
1: Okay, when they're talking about um, M&A, them being the acquirers, I assume, rather than somebody yeah. coming to gobble them up. Yeah, there's quite a lot of activity in well, the space both. at the
0: moment. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously potential for both. I mean, it's not just, I, I guess when you're talking about uh, funds management businesses and mergers and acquisitions, they do tend to be friendly because the assets that you're buying is the IP of the people who work there. So if uh, an aggressor came along for Magellan and uh, they weren't happy with who was buying them, then obviously the the talent walks out the door. Similarly, if Magellan are looking at other companies to buy, that talent can walk as well. So it's important to do, if you're doing a deal, uh, to do some sort of merger or some sort of tie-up. We have seen a bit of that going on at the moment. So, But culture... And uh, egos comes into play a lot with these sorts of fund management mergers and acquisitions.
1: Well, they do indeed. So does that make it a buy for you, Henry?
0: Uh, probably not up here. Um, it's run 20% nearly today. So that's probably a little bit ritzy for my liking. If it came back on uh, next week, and we've seen this with some of the stocks that have performed pretty well on results, if it came back 5%, 6 7%, uh, back down maybe to uh, sort of 950, 980, then I'd probably look at it.
1: Okay, so a hold for today, basically, slash a buy on uh, weakness, or do you want to buy on weakness?
0: Um, I, well, 11 bucks, it's nearly into today. I, <laughs> I think if I held them and I'd been a long-suffering shareholder, I might be tempted to take a little bit of money off the table with this run uh, and try and look to buy them back uh, around okay. a dollar. So I'm going to change
1: off. that to a sell?
0: Uh <laughs> Everything's price-dependent, Danny. I'd say it's- I know, it's, but um, it's
1: your job to give me something that I can write down.
0: <laughs> I, I've, I've just told you what I think. Uh, all right. up here, I'd be taking profits, and at, ten, at uh, under 10 bucks, I'd probably be accumulating.
1: Okay. Ever the broker, hey, Henry, cover all bases, but nevertheless- no, that's,
0: pretty, that's pretty emphatic, isn't it? <laughs> Sell here, buy back a dollar lower. How In, about that?
1: There, fair enough. Okay, Luke, what do you think of Magellan? Um,
2: it's, it's an interesting result. I mean, when I looked at the results and, and you look at the response from the market, um, it, it's hard to sort of put two and two together. I mean, the results are at best good enough. They're, they're certainly not, you know, shooting the lights out, um, especially with the, the comparison to prior years. But we knew this was coming. And it's probably what surprises me is. Magellan is an incredibly simple business. It's, you know, FUM multiplied by a management fee. Uh, You know, you have a rough estimate of what you think performance fees might be, but given markets, you know, that was always going to be relatively small, and and it was in this result. Um, The commentary has been the cost base has sort of been looked at and stabilised. So I don't think the actual numbers themselves were too much of a surprise. I think what it is is the signal from Magellan the chairman um, of a few different things. One, the special dividend. Two, the stepping down off the investment committee and appointing um, the new chair. Those signals to me, it's Magellan saying to the market, "We think we're through this, you know, um, this phase of, of turnaround and and, and the, the the dramatic changes that we had to make. We're now in that phase where, and you've seen in the FUM too. FUM sort of bottomed out the last couple of months. So we're now in that phase, of we can get back to hopefully a growth trajectory if markets play nice. Um, looking at the at the business itself. One thing I think gets overlooked uh, a little bit when you look at the business at face value, um, they have a lot of investments on the balance sheet. You know, mm-hmm. nearly a billion dollars in in um, in uh, cash investments in their own funds, and then also the stake in Baron Joey and FinClear. Which again, some commentary in this result that I don't think they would do a fire sale for those assets. But I, I think um, you know, new board and management probably view them as non-core. They were you know investments made in a yesteryear, the heyday of Magellan. Um, so. I think you would hold it here. I know twenty percent is is a big move, and I agree with Henry. On these numbers themselves, you probably say it's a bit too much, and you could you probably can sit back if you're on the sidelines, sit back, and and you know you probably can pick it up a bit cheaper as it as it just drips back a little bit. Um, but it's not expensive, particularly if you if you sort of subtract that that you know roughly billion dollars of of assets um, off their market cap. Um, One thing to note, though, is that this is a run rate business in the sense of, um, you know, you look at the profit number of 175 million, 100 of that was in the first half, 75 in the second Mm -hmm. half. And even as they exit this second half, they've got the lower FUM than what they had to begin with by about 13%. So that profit's going to come down again next year, but that's in the price and, and you've seen it by that reaction today. So I think it's a hold for me and, and it, it's certainly not expensive. Uh, the big question, as Henry said, it's that squiggly line of the performance and the farm as well, which you get monthly. So just you know keep tracking that thumb which is obviously what the market will be focused on. But if you see that stabilizing and, and maybe even starting to rise, I think you'll see Magellan continue to do quite well. So I think it's a pretty easy hold.
1: Indeed. And if you hold it, you get that nice chunky dividend. Well, with the special dividend as well. Okay, gentlemen, let's crack on and get to our first stock of the day picked by Riley, which is EVT. So, Luke, I'll start with you. Have the, uh, what is it, the Barbie Oppenheimer phenomenon made a difference to EVT or has it skipped them by?
2: I was going to bring up Barbenheimer. Um, <laughs> So it won't make a difference to this result because obviously, you know, we'll see that in the first half of, of, of next year. But they'll get um, the Avatar movie was was massive, um, you know, which we'll which see the effect. Um, similar to Magellan, this is a business where you look at the numbers at face value and you think very expensive and, you know, obviously tied to some cyclical factors and what does a consumer look like and all these sorts of things. You look at that balance sheet though, and there's a lot of assets on there, and not a lot of debt behind it. That 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 enterprise value quickly comes down, and the valuation of the assets is something that I think you know you could pot, uh, prod and poke a little bit. Obviously, there's some hotels in there and some um, you know sort of entertainment slash um, destination style assets, um, but nonetheless, as operating businesses, they're doing quite well. Threadbow, you know, we'll wait and see what the result looks like, but but all the commentary of I didn't unfortunately I couldn't make it down there this year, but but you know. Every man and his dog that I spoke to was was down there. Um, Cinema's coming back. And, of course, hotels are actually doing quite well in this environment, mostly pricing-led rather than volume, but like a lot of businesses in that travel accommodation space, um, really maximizing the yields on that that occupancy. Um, I think they'll get a tailwind as well. You're seeing a few councils start to push back on regulations around Airbnb and short-stay accommodation. That could be a little bit of a, of a tailwind for hotels as well over the next couple of years. Um, look, long story short, when I pulled apart this business, the balance sheet, the earnings, the trajectory of where they're going, the Barbenheimer effect coming through next year, <laughs> um, I think this is a buy, Danny. Um, you know, it's it's probably gonna do about 140 to 150 mil earnings this year, tick under two bill market cap, but again, that 1.3 billion in, in assets, subtract a couple of hundred mil debt. Um, you know, you're not paying a high price, probably somewhere around nine to 10 times on that enterprise value. Of course, you know, whether they unlock the value of the assets on the balance sheet, like Magellan is probably a question mark, but for patient investors, you know, I think you've got a good management team to, to sort of get you through the cycle. So, you know, I, th- I think it's a buy, just be wary of, of the cyclical nature of some of the places that play in, but, but now that cycle looks okay for them um, and you've got the, the, the safety of that balance sheet behind you.
1: Indeed, and it is all about balance sheets at the moment. Henry, does this one uh, tickle your fancy?
0: No, sorry, um, not at all, unfortunately. Uh, I didn't see Barbenheimer. Uh, I haven't uh, had a huge amount of interest, I must admit, in seeing either of the two. And when you look at the pipeline coming up, they're all Marvel movies, which I'm not a big fan of either. Um, hotels, yep, really. We're, we're heading into a, a bit of a consumer crunch, I, I think. You know, people certainly talking about that. And consumers are getting a little bit more canny where they spend their money. Maybe the last gasp in Threadbow was the last gasp of spending. I know that I went to uh, down to um, Dinner Plain and Mount Hotham this year. But um, yeah, I, it just really—I I struggle to get my head around this one. It's got, um, you know, it's got a couple hundred million bucks, as Luke says, in terms of debt. They've just refinanced the $650 million revolving currency loan arrangements. They are banking on a pickup in the movies, and I think, you know, premium seating as well. If you're going to go to the movies, do you pay premium prices or do you just buy a seat? Um, so that that does concern me. The results not due till the 28th, I think it is. They've also got the new uh, Darling Harbour IMAX cinema, that very radical looking cinema. They've got the rights to that, so that'll be interesting to see how that one goes. At best, this for me is a hold. I think um, you know hotels. We've all done the the revenge spending, the trips to to regional and rural areas. Uh, we've all done that. Hotels are still very expensive. And I think that's going to put people off. Uh be interested in what the results are. But for me, this is a hold. Can't see any real reason to be there.
1: Okay, fair enough. Everybody's YOLO'd or about to YOLO them themselves yeah. out of an irrational exuberance. Let's crack on. And our second stock is Anson Resources, picked by Zane. Luke, uh, about a $200 million market cap. I'd never heard of it. And it looks like it's, Mayan, it was the Mayan Iron Corporation from what I can gather, which doesn't, you know, do any, ring any bells to me. Can you shed some light?
2: Oh, afraid not, Danny. I think this might be one that Henry will know a little bit better. It's what best I can tell a lithium explorer based over in the States um, you know, it, it's got cash, 38 mil cash in the bank. They, they probably raised that quite recently. Um, so, you know, it gives them a nice pipeline to drill some holes and hopefully bring some good news to market. Um, but for me, yeah, like I, I get the excitement around the lithium space. And, and you certainly see that. I mean, look at the results coming out of the guys that are already producing, um, like Pilbara and Orchem. Um, you know, just, just unbelievable margins right now on their product and highly, highly profitable. I mean, my fear is that, by the time these prospective um explorers actually come to market with with product, um, you know, the, the, the prices that we're experiencing now for those guys will probably be in the in the rear view mirror. So I would prefer still just to play this with the explorers. Um, you know, they're still achieving great growth, they've got um, you know, exploration growth themselves within what they're doing. You'll see M and A in the space. Um I, I don't think you have to play down here with the explorers right now for lithium when the producers are are doing so well themselves. So, So preference for me to the big guys, like I said, Pilbara, Orkham, those sorts of guys that are already out there producing and making substantial amounts of uh, profits and cash.
1: Makes sense. Henry, what about you on this one? Is this one that you like?
0: Well, as you know, Danielle, I am a bit of a lithium fan, and uh, certainly it has been a very lucrative part of the market, to say the least, and, and explorers have done extraordinarily well. One of the reasons for that, of course, is that lithium is not that hard to find, uh, remarkably so. and. Uh, I was talking to uh, an expert in the critical metals uh, sector, Kingsley Jones, from uh, one of the investment houses. And he was saying that basically in the old days, when they did the gold tests and the assays for gold, they actually used a lithium uh, sort of a medium as part of the testing process. And lithium was considered a waste product that no one was interested in. So a lot of lithium has been discovered, if that's the right word in bunny ears, uh, by people going over old gold projects. Now, I'm not saying this one is one of those, but just something to bear in mind. There's lots of outcropping pegmatites. It's one thing to find it. It's quite another thing to bring the project to fruition, to build it uh, and uh, to fund it and do all those offtake agreements. This one's got a project in Utah called Paradox. That's a great name, isn't it? Lithium yeah. project in Utah. Uh, they've got a pilot plant going at the moment. This is a brine project in Utah, so all that nice heat in the U.S. at the moment will be doing them fine because uh, that means that evaporation happens a lot quicker and they can get their production quicker. But this got, got a long way to go. They do have cash. I have to say there's others that I would prefer. Uh, James Bay in Canada is the hot area at the moment. The problem with the, the U.S. is it's hard to get environmental permitting. Uh, it's not an easy place to do business in terms of uh, mining. Uh, we found that out with INR, INR being the stock code there, one of the ones that I've been following for a long time. Bernard Rowe, the CEO there, they've had lots of problems with a, a specific plant, uh, Reams buckwheat, that only grows on that particular ridge called Rhyolite Ridge. It's almost like a Hollywood movie. Um, So this one, Utah, long way to go, pilot plant, they're hoping to move that to the Paradox Project. Uh, For me, you've gotta be a believer, and I'm not, I think there's better elsewhere. It's not a sell, if you've got it, you're probably a believer, hold it. But um, I think there's more fun and more money to be made probably elsewhere at the moment. James Bay in, in in Canada is certainly the area that people are focusing. I agree with Luke in terms of the producers, uh, and you know, Pilbara still, to me, is the one. It just depends on where, what price you pay for it.
1: Um, Henry, the James Bay in Canada, is that um, Patriot? Am I vaguely in the right uh, direction there?
0: You are, the little red Corvette. Uh, that is Patriot. Um, Patriot, of course, has got uh, Ken Brinsden. As the, uh, as the non-exec chair there. He came out of Pilbara, of course, man responsible for that. But James Bay has got Alchem, it's got every man and his doggy is up in James Bay at the moment, buying projects, paying money for projects. And as I say, it, the lithium, it's a very rich lithium area, an area they've never tested really for lithium in the past because it was known as a gold area. And as I say, when you do the gold assays, you actually used Uh, lithium as part of the gold assays do it so lithium was just an inconvenience a waste product from these assay tests years ago Technology's changed and now they are looking for lithium not just gold and one of the beauties of course is some of these lithium projects still have a lot of gold in them so who knows what they find
1: Henry, with all that knowledge, I think you could write a book on lithium. Just an idea. No. Nah,
0: no. Nah. <laughs> nah. I'll leave the book. I'll leave the book writing to you, Danny.
1: Oh, I think I've yet finished there. But let's crack on. Our third stock is McPherson's ticker code MCP, picked by Patrick Luke. Uh, health and beauty products. Is that right? Eight hundred and twenty million market cap. That's what I found. Uh, what What do you think about this stock?
2: I think the market cap's a bit smaller than that. This is this is oh, right. Danny. Sorry, oh sorry, eighty two
1: million. I forgot I got yeah, I, I put yeah. a zero on the back of it.
2: <laughs> oh, oh management wishes they could, uh, Danny. Um no, this has been a debacle, McPherson's. Um you're right. Health and beauty products. Are, I think um I've heard people say that sort of the bottom draw because they do a bit of like um, you know, garbage bags and, and um aluminium foil and things like that. Yeah, you know, as as well as their um uh pads and and earbuds and, and all sorts of things. Um They've tried to get into some brands, which is where you want to be as a consumer product. You don't want to be a commodity producer at the mercy of Coles and Woolies and all the big retailers around the world. You want to be a brand. You want to control that and obviously drive the higher margins. They just have never been able to do it. They've had Dr. Lewin's um, and uh, Akin, I think, is the other one they've tried to develop. It, it had fits and starts with both of them but never really pulled it off. I mean, that that chart basically sums it all up. Um I did, look, it's one I I sort of looked at in the past. So I went back today, refreshed myself a little bit with it. Um, You know, they're talking about underlying profitability, but I think there's a lot of add backs to get to that. There's a lot of restructuring costs and things like that going on at the minute. Um, The biggest concern I had, though, was, they said through the first four months um, of the second half, so through to the end of April, they were uh, had about 5.3 million profit before tax, but that was actually 5.1 at the half. So, it's sort of it's sort of saying that through the first four months of this second half, that growth has is, is basically stopped, and they sort of flagged for that to continue. So, look, it's it's one where. If you're there, you've suffered a lot of pain and you probably wait to see what these results bring. Because there's a new CEO in place. That's always, you know, something to keep an eye on for that turnaround story. Someone who's, you know, got a good resume and and, and he'll come in and hopefully drive that turnaround. Um, but if you're on the sidelines, I wouldn't be touching this at, at this point in time. At at the very at the very worst, wait for the set of results, see what they look like, see what the is like, see what the potential outlook is like um but it's one where you know you'd be wanting to get this one very very cheaply and and, and, a, and a nice clean balance sheet too like i'd it's not a business i would buy but if, if i was brave enough like this is the sort of business you want to buy at six or seven times earnings you know you, you don't want to pay 15 times for this because it's just not worth it they just don't have the pricing power to justify a high multiple so um a hold for the program, but a weak hold at yeah. best.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like they've got a lot of, well, moat to use that expression. Yeah. Not a lot to, uh, you know, we're not talking uh, Joe Malone here. Um, Henry.
0: Um, it's, it's funny. This one used to be the second drawer company <laughs> as opposed to the bottom drawer company. They used to be, uh, many years ago, uh, when McPherson sort of came up on the radar to begin with, they were into uh, knives and all sorts of other kitchen appliances. The sorts of things, uh, the utensils, I guess, that you put into that second drawer. Now they've moved into baking paper and various other things, which is now down on the bottom drawer, I guess. <laughs> so, And the share price has responded, as Luke says, in kind, because it is in the bottom drawer as well. Uh, new CEO, uh, Brent Charlton. He's getting paid 630 grand a year for a 70 odd million dollar company. Not bad work if you can get it. Uh, I have to say, I'm with Luke 100% on this one. Can't see any reason to be here. To be honest, the other problem with this one as well is the volume can be pathetic, absolutely pathetic at times. Uh, you know, sometimes seven thousand shares trades, mm. or a thousand shares trades, or maybe a hundred thousand shares trade. It, it looks like it's bottomed at forty cents. It had a big spike up. Maybe that was on the back of the uh, new executive leadership update. Uh, but uh, you know, we've we've seen branding issues with health wealth. Uh, well, health and wellness beauty products in Australia. We've seen that with uh, a number of other companies out there. BWX does spring to mind. Uh, I think it was a much better business when they were in the kitchen knives and utensils than uh, beauty products, but they tried to get out of that because it was um, not such a good business. I've got no interest in this one, I have to say.
1: So a big avoid, Henry?
0: Oh, yeah, massive avoid.
1: Massive, yeah. The proverbial lobster <laughs> pot, dare we say. You'll, 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 you'll get uh, cooked and uh, eaten at the same time. Anyway, yep. uh, um, our fifth stock is uh, Champion Iron, uh, and that is ticker code CIA, picked by Ali. Wow, Luke. Challenging space potentially at the moment with everything going on in China, but hey-ho.
2: Not only that, Danny, but they're based over in Canada, where yeah. they've had the um, the fires, which caused some issues to their. Um you know logistics and, and things like that so uh, when I opened their last quarter my first instinct was well geez you're paying a very big market cap for for what this quarter is but went back and looked at a couple in the past and, and you could see that you know it all sort of culminated in that quarter with some some weaker selling prices because of the um, you know uh, issues over in China and the lower um, the lower steel making prices they're they're getting uh, but then also the the supply issues they had purely because of the you um, the the Quebec fires. Um, Look, it it, it doesn't look too bad. To be honest, um, you know, my, my comments I jotted down here is just there wasn't a great deal to excite me more than the other iron ore producers. I would, I would probably just prefer to play this through a Fortescue. Um, lower cash cost of production, um, closer to home makes it a little bit easier. Um, you know, I think it's even though Canada, there's certainly no jurisdictional issues, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, I think it's always easier for investors to, to invest in stuff that's in their own backyard. Um, and, you know, the valuation. Isn't, isn't substantially cheaper than, than sort of the Fortescue and, and the big guys anyway. Um, I think the other issue which, you know, as you sort of touched on, is that the long-term outlook for iron ore. Um, I think you've had a, a structural bull market in iron ore since China, you know, really ramped up their infrastructure spending 10 years ago now. Mm. And we've probably forgotten that that you know before then the the, the floor price of iron ore is you know, twenty to forty bucks a ton. Mm-hmm. I think we've been so used to to eighty to one hundred to one hundred and twenty dollars a ton for so long that we think that's the standard. It's it's really not. Um, and if, if China does pull back on that infrastructure style stimulus and, and focuses more at the consumer level, which is what a lot of people are predicting, plus the um, the supply that's supposed to come online out of Africa, it uh, does It wouldn't surprise me. This is a long term view, of course. I'm not saying this happens. Thanks. It wouldn't surprise me to see iron ore prices come back, you know, sort of below $50, $60 a ton you know, at a structural level. Obviously, some cyclical swings in between. So, I struggle to get enthused about Champion Iron as itself, but also iron ore in general. So, for me, you know, I'd actually probably say a sell, to be honest. Um, maybe not rushing out of the stock straight away. If there's a divvy coming up, hang around for that. Uh, maybe wait for a good quarter result to bounce in the share price. But, yeah, someone I'd want to be there for longer term.
1: Fair enough. Uh, makes sense to me. Henry, do you like champion iron ore, iron?
0: Geez, Jeez. i tell you what, Luke, if, uh, if iron ore is 50 or 60 bucks a ton uh, in years to come, the Aussie dollar is going to be under some serious pressure. Yeah, no one's and some gonna budget be- problems too. And some budget problems, and no one's ever going to be able to go abroad again. Inflation will go through the roof because we import everything. We will have serious, serious, serious problems at uh, 50 to 60 bucks. I have to say. Um, going back to Champion Iron, Champion the Wonder Horse, uh, CIA, great code. Uh, these guys uh, had some issues, uh, not least of which has been the fires, of course, as Luke rightly points out. Uh, they also, unlike Fortescue... Remember that Fortescue's product that comes out of the Pilbara is not that great. Yeah. It is not the premium end of the market. Uh, so they do have to take a discount. Now, the question is how much of a discount Fortescue always have to take. And in recent years, because the Chinese demand has been there, that discount has not been as great as it was initially. The thing about Champion the Wonder Horse to some extent, is that they have the opposite thing. They have a high premium product with low impurities, so they actually get a premium in terms of uh, their pricing. So that is something in their favour. The problem, as as Luke says, is that they're in Canada. And so it's it's harder, I guess, to get your head around that. And when people buy into the iron ore story, we tend to go the big three, B H P Rio and Fortescue, maybe in mineral resources. This one is showing signs of life, I have to say. It looks as if it's bottomed, but it always is always dependent on the iron ore price. They've had a lot of A lot of problems thrown at them: the the fires, increased costs, etc. They've got a project called Bloom Lake, which they're ramping up. Phase two is due to come on stream. Uh, I don't mind this one; it's probably a hold here. I certainly wouldn't be selling it, having seen it sort of drop from eight bucks to five and a half bucks. But um, it's it's really dependent on the iron ore price, which is dependent on China, and we're all hoping for uh, some sort of bazooka from the uh, Chinese authorities. But I'm suspecting that they have run out of bazooka ammunition at the moment and certainly aren't going to do what they have done in the past, which is just chuck money at building infrastructure because that does not work.
1: Indeed. Not indeed. Term. They've got a lot of debt and a lot of very troubled property developers at the yeah, moment.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it? We talk about the Chinese debt and all that sort of stuff. And we always forget the U.S. has got $32 trillion of debt.
1: We gloss about, over that one. It's, no, not necessarily. But anyway. We, weren't, we do. No, I don't think so. That's why Fitch downgraded. But nevertheless, let's yeah. move on now to the fifth and stock. And
0: everybody criticised Fitch for downgrading as well.
1: Yeah, yes and no. Anyway, we're, we're digressing. <laughs> we're going off. We are. Anyway, fifth stock. This is the fifth stock. Uh, West African Resources, ticker code WAF, picked by Benji. Luke, uh, gold in Burkina Faso. 800 million market cap. Hopefully I got that one right.
2: Yeah, no, that's right, Danny. Um, You've summed it up in a sentence there. Like when you look at it, it's incredibly cheap. You know, trades less than five times earnings. They're actually growing their resource base and, you know, um, guiding to increasing production. So if gold prices hang around where they are, then, you know, you'll, you'll see that multiple and those profits, you know, profits rise and multiple come down. Um, it's it's the it's the geopolitical risk of, of Burkina Faso. I must admit, I've I've never played in the African mining space myself, so I couldn't actually tell you. You know, people smarter than me, and Henry, you know, may well be one of them, will tell you which countries you know are, are more preferable than others. Uh, look, I I sort of um, avoid the space in general. Um, you know. I would maybe be more sympathetic if the domestic gold miners were, you know, richly valued, and you could find a, a, a nice arbitrage, for lack of a better word, going overseas to some of these more, you know, questionable jurisdictions. Um, but when you look across the Aussie gold mining space, they have their own issues with costs, cost um, blowouts, and things like that. You saw that from Evolution the other day. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're paying um, crazy multiples for for um, the gold miners here, let alone having to go over to Africa just to get it that little bit cheaper. So. I would probably be staying away from this one. Chart doesn't look pretty either. Um, if you do want gold exposure, I'm not one of those investors that you know mandates always having to have some gold, but I know some people do. Um, if that is your style, I, I think you can look at the Aussie gold miners here. As I said, going through their issues, hopefully they're short term. Um, over the longer term, a few of them like Northern Star and um, um, Evolution have been decent stocks. So um, you know you would hope that they could could see a recovery over time. But West Africa, yeah, not not for me.
1: Mm, nothing like adding some geopolitical risk to the mix, hey, Henry?
0: Uh, nothing like it either. No, you're right, Danny and Luke. Uh, the, the beauty about West Africa is that it is cheap. It is cheap to get projects and quick as well. You know, you can bring on these projects very much quicker because the environmental concerns <laughs> are not that great. And most of the countries that the uh, these miners operate in, in West Africa want them there they don't uh, they don't discourage them they actually want them there because they want the royalties and the revenue and they also want the jobs that are associated with it so west africa is a lucrative place to go mining the problem is that all that speed of bringing a project on and all that cheap labor and the social benefits of bringing on uh, a local workforce can be undone at the stroke of an AK-47 <laughs> and you do get that sovereign risk and that is the problem and we've seen that with the uh, the revolution or the whatever's happening the coup in Niger at the moment uh, Burkina Fasa has had some issues in the past they've all had issues in the past at the moment we've got a company called Leo Lithium which is having some issues in Mali they've got a a massive lithium project there backed by Gang Fang, and they had a letter from the Mali government and the letter is taking an awful long time to be deciphered at the moment because the company's gone into suspense. So that makes it hard. Having said all that, if you are a gold fan and you do think gold is good, this has got low costs. It is targeting 400,000 ounces a year of gold production by 2025. Burkina Faso is the second largest producer in West Africa, it produces around 3 million ounces of gold a year. So it is not a bad place to be. Easy to get permits. Good workforce, cheap, and you don't have the cost blowouts that we've seen with uh, companies like Northern Star, Evolution, etc uh, that we've seen in Australia. there is a plentiful source of people wanting to work on these. So uh, I think you know for me this is probably a hold. Uh, 80 cents it's come down a, a long way, but gold stocks are trading stocks. You don't fall in love with these. these are not long-term investments. You buy them cheap and you sell them dear. buy low, sell high. That is the answer with gold stocks. You don't fall in love with them because they are massively cyclical and they respond to the gold price. And if we see the bullion price uh, push higher, these will push higher as well. It's one of the better ones in West Africa, that's for sure.
1: Okay, fantastic, Henry. Let's crack on and I will just summarize. First of all, the stock of the day, Magellan, worth noting the results out today, and it's currently trading up almost 20%, $1.80 to $11. And uh, really, we've got, uh, you know, both both our experts guess like the story, Henry just making the point that uh, they're starting to get the runs on the board in terms of the fund's performance, which hopefully will stop that leakage Of funds under management Uh, makes the point that uh, some good management moves. Andrew Formica coming on as chairman is really good news. However, it has run really, really hard, and particularly today. So, a take profits at these levels, but a buy a dollar to a dollar fifty lower. Luke said the results were good, not particularly overly good, but nevertheless, there's a special dividend. Well, there's a dividend plus a special dividend, which makes it very, very attractive. And he just commented in terms of like they've got all these other assets on the balance sheet the likes of Baron Joey etc so a hold and let's crack through the stocks that you have picked so EVT we have a buy from Luke on that one very much just pointing out the assets thinks they're going to do well from the movies including Barbenheimer it's cheap on an enterprise value of nine to ten times Henry doesn't like it feel that we've all yellowed our way and uh, to absolutely uh, possibly travel, uh, I suppose, slowing down, and uh, some of those cinemas. In terms of trying to attack, attract a premium client, um, he doesn't feel it's going to come through. So at best, we have a hold from Henry Anson Resources. Uh, so there, we both both guests actually would prefer. If you want to play in the lithium space, uh, the producers like Pilbara and Allcom for both Henry and as well. With Luke, so uh, yeah, not not really too enamoured with that one. McPherson's, um, unfortunately, look that's a company that really has uh, struggled. Um, Henry's analogy probably sums it up for both of the guests. It's moved from the second drawer to the bottom drawer in terms of it used to produce utensils, and now it's doing things such as baking powder. Plus, they've got in there the likes of Akin and Dr. De Llewellyn's, but new CEO, he's getting paid a lot of money. It's basically the proverbial lobster pot to be avoided. And Champion Iron, well, both Luke and Henry, again, possibly saying, yep, it's, you know, they've got lots of, had lots of problems with the Canadian fires recently. It is based in Canada. So logistics, even though they are a premium iron ore producer, it's a premium product. But nevertheless, um, you do have that distance. Uh, we have Luke with a sell and Henry with a hold. West African resources. So for Luke, he wouldn't really invest um particularly in a gold stock with such geopolitical risk. And uh, if, he do, if he does want to play within the gold sectors, which he doesn't normally do, he would look to the major companies such as Northstar and Evolution. Henry just points out, yes, there's geopolitical risk. However, if you're looking at Burkina Fassa, they're probably okay in terms of a government that's keen to develop the resource. There's lots of cheap labor. It's a low cost mine, but it is hold at best. But Just a quick reminder that gold stocks are very, very cyclical. Do not fall in love with them. Okay. Now, the call is tracking our own high-conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So let's check in with the portfolio update. Going into August, Index was replaced by AUB, and the committee spent on cash 1% went to each of Seek, Altium, and ProMedicus. And let's see how the portfolio is performing. So far, the fund is 4.81% on a cumulative return, basis since inception on March 1st, 2022. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Let's move on to the second five stocks of the day. And we have a couple of, well, we've got three property trusts, Stockland, vicinity centers, Heartland, Iris and Cromwell. And I can hear one of my guests sighing, probably because he's maybe getting hungry. Let's move on to the Stockland. Our sixth stock is Stockland, picked by Sharon. So, ticker code SGP, Henry. Do you like Stockland?
0: Do I like Stockland? Uh, I am ambivalent towards Stockland. It's probably a whole 6.3% yield, not bad. Uh, could be in line to buy Lend uh, some of their lifestyle property uh, businesses. Uh, I think that's um, really sort of more aged care and uh, retirement village side of things, which could help them. Obviously quite exposed to property and certainly exposed to interest rates. I think Luke would probably be far more erudite and more knowledgeable on this one. But for me, I I have to say, REITs don't really excite me. Having said that, Goodman Group is up. 13% in two days.
1: Is that ginormous, Henry? That does
0: it. That is ginormous. (laughs) That is a ginormous run in Goodman Group. And you know why it's ginormous? You know why they run? They've started pivoting. That's always a good word as well. They started pivoting and they're talking about data centres.
1: Indeed, they are. Yeah.
0: How sexy is that, Danielle?
1: Exactly. I know. I picked up on that yesterday. Anyway, we have to crack on. So maybe Goodman Group is a sexy one to look at, but Stockland, a hold for you, Henry. Luke. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a hold for me, Danny. I mean, um, Henry sort of says I could I could wax lyrical. I mean, I, I sort of agree with him <laughs> to be honest on, on REITs. Um, they're, they're a pretty tough place to play, but we know that. So you see some some pretty savage market reactions over the last little bit. Some discounts to NTA, um, and I think he sort of hit the nail on the head. I, I think about it the same way, which is I would view REITs now purely on their on their distribution slash dividend yield, um, and obviously compare that to to what you can get from term deposits or or you know um, maybe government bonds, um, so you look at, at Stockland. Yeah, I, I think it's about six and a half, maybe a seven percent yield. We'll wait and see where they land when they come out in the next um, probably next week. I think they'll be. Um, which is not too bad. So that yield's okay. I think you can hold it here. Um, you know, I was looking at the metrics around their retail stuff. They do still holding up okay. Um, they sort of noted that as that period went on, um, that, that, you know, they're starting to see some, some footfall across some of the retail assets uh, decline a little bit. Some of the retail sales decline a little bit. The housing stuff, the backlog's holding up okay. You know, it's just got its fingers in so many pies. It's sort of hard for the whole business to blow up at once. Um, The only thing I did note: the balance sheet's about a 40% debt to um, debt to assets, which is probably a little at at the upper end for most REITs right now. The other two we'll talk about are lower than that. So, hold for me as well. It's big, it's boring, and I think you're getting a decent enough yield to stay there for now.
1: Okay well I might ask go straight on to the the next stock which is vicinity centers ticker code VCX picked by Brendan so uh Henry I think uh, this this obviously you're talking shopping malls here so uh, oh,
0: We are <laughs> we are <laughs> talking shop shopping malls aren't we
1: Indeed maybe it's uh even less attractive <laughs>
0: Uh, what's, what could possibly be wrong with a shopping mall, Danielle? Uh, I, I guess, you know, the thing that has surprised me uh, this reporting season, there's a, there's a couple of things. P- retail is not dead, and we've seen that with something like super retail. Uh, and also we've seen property trusts, which is what they used to be called before they got the fancy title of REITs, have um, not had such big write-downs as some were predicting. Of course, one of the issues around the write downs is that if you don't actually do any transactions, you don't sell any buildings or buy any buildings, nobody really knows the valuation apart from the so-called independent valuer. I'm not sure how independent they are when they're being paid by the company to independently value buildings, but there you go. Uh, the vicinity centre, flat earnings, uh, households tightening belts, retail exposure, et cetera, it's, it's had a bit of a fall from grace, as have many of the REITs. It's ugh, hard to get excited. Yield is the, is the appeal, 6.2%. But, yeah, if, if the consumer does slow, and there's certainly we've seen some warnings from JB Hi-Fi, uh, super cheap, uh, and others, then uh, this one will just, uh, you know, waft along, drift along. So for me, it's, it's probably a hold at these kind of levels, but uh, hard to get very excited about this, I'm yeah. afraid.
1: Indeed, Luke.
2: Um yeah, look, I just realized I sold Stockland a bit short. I got these two mixed up. It was Vicini <laughs> that reported, um, I think it was earlier this week and, and sort of gave the the trading update of what they're seeing across that shopping center network. I'm sure Stockland will be similar, you know. They, they both run very similar style um, you know, shopping center complexes. Um where Vicinity actually Take that, um, that statement back a little bit. Where Vicinity probably does position themselves a little bit different is um, their stuff's very high-end, you yeah. know, Chadstone and some CBD stuff. Um, outside of my budget, uh, Danny, but nonetheless, that consumer's holding up surprisingly <laughs> well. Um, you know, obviously, um, Setire is an online platform, has its own tailwinds, but the comments from them and Farfetch and a bunch of these, you know, Louis Vuitton and um, uh, the big, big European um, luxury brands is – that luxury consumer, that high end consumer, is is still doing pretty well, and and um, vicinity is probably seeing the effects of that, you know, on a lower level down there in in Melbourne and and uh, in CBDs around the country. Um, look again, similar. Similar comments to Stockland, that yields around that six and a half percent. The gearing's only about 25%. So the debt's not too bad. Um, I'd probably throw the NTAs away when I look at this business because I think they've got some pretty bullish, you know, go back to that independent comment just then. I I agree with that. They've got some very bullish assumptions in some of the valuation rates they're using on these assets. But nonetheless, the, the yields are strong, mm-hmm. the, the the spreads are good, they're continuing to mm-hmm. to upgrade spreads, occupancy rates are holding up and, and they're getting paid on time. So you know, is this big cliff coming? We're all waiting for it, but we, we still haven't quite seen it yet. This entity's reporting okay. I think it's a it's a pretty comfortable hold. And if you're on the sidelines, you don't own it, again, I just come back to that dividend yield. Just look yeah. at that yield versus what you can get elsewhere. If it looks appetizing to you for a little bit of extra risk that you'll take on, um, then maybe it's something you could own. But, but it, it'd be a hold.
1: Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's crack on to the eighth stock, Heartland HGH. ticker code, picked by Patrick. So we're going a, uh, across the water, a New Zealand financial services company, I believe. Uh, Henry, I, I suspect this doesn't even come on your radar.
0: Absolutely no interest <laughs> at all, Danielle. I will save everybody a lot of time. This one trades by appointment here. It's a New Zealand stock. I have zero interest, I'm afraid.
1: Fair enough. And
2: uh, Luke? It's, it's a funny one. Like I listen to the call every day. There's been a few of these come up over the last few days where, again, it's one I'd never heard of and you go and look at the stock and you see a billion-dollar market cap and you're like, what is going on? then you realise New Zealand listed with, the, with the, the cross-listing that makes it very easy onto the ASX. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say, I did have a quick look. They're trying to buy Challengers um, bank assets. That would start to give them a bit of a foothold in Australia. And we might actually have have to start paying a bit of attention to them as, as Australian investors. Right now, you know, I, I looked, it, it's basically a, a bank slash financial institution over in New Zealand. The metrics were all fine. I, I go back to the comments I had around um, like West Africa and um, stocks like that, where. I think you just have local players that look just as cheap, have just as good metrics. I mean, it it looks like another one of the big four to me, 12% ROE, about 10 times earnings. You can get that from, well, other than CBA, which is out of, it. you know, it's a league of its own. You can get that from any of the other uh, big three. So i would prefer just to stay home and invest in those three. But look, Heartland, maybe we'll, we'll see more of it pop up on the call in other places. They're, they are trying to, um, you know, cross the ditch and, and, and get a, a foothold over here in Australia. So we'll, we'll wait and see how they go. But otherwise, if you are there, if you somehow have a position, it's, it's, a, it's a hold.
1: Okay, fair enough. Uh, Iris, um, yeah, that's a bit checkered as well. Our ninth stock is Iris, a ticker code IRE, picked by Niall and uh, Henry.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not really for. I've, I've got to say, I'm not really forgiven, Iris, for uh, for abandoning one of their project uh, products that I used daily for donkey's years and replaced it with a very inferior product uh, and making people pay an awful lot of money to access the good products. So, as far as I'm concerned, sorry, Iris, that was a massive fail. Uh, of course, Iris is kind of industry standard. Uh, platforms for the ASX and for brokers like myself who have been around for some years, Danny. Um, they, no, I, uh, never,
1: never, never, never.
0: <laughs> I know. And even back in the, the 90s, long before Luke was born, I helped Iris actually um, with a lot of their systems uh, uh, with Kirsty Gross and Peter Dunai, who uh, was the man who created Iris uh, with a lot of their systems back in the day. So uh, Iris and I go back a long way, and I'm sorry... But I'm having to break up with you uh, because um, it it really did annoy me when they changed their sort of the product mix. Stock's gone nowhere. Uh, It does rely on volumes. It does rely on industry uptake. It has diversified into um, platforms and digital solutions. It's had issues in the UK where it's tried to push into as Mm. well. At best, it's probably a hold only because... Well, it's, a, it's a hold, but um, yeah, it, it really doesn't do much for me. If you wanted to to buy into this space, I think there's other uh, platforms, wealth platforms, that actually probably offer better upside than Iris. Um, yeah, it doesn't really float my boat, I must admit.
1: Fair enough. Luke, do you like Iris? Uh, not right now, but
2: I'll, I'll put some context around that. Um, it, Iris is a funny one because it's one of the few pieces of software that as investment professionals we actually use. So you know, most of the time we're analysing businesses, you know, in that software space. Um, you know, there might be business to business in other areas or you know, mining or whatnot, and so we don't actually use the products and get a great feel for them. And, and as Henry said, anyone who's used Iris, incredibly frustrating experience, but. <laughs> you're forced to, you know, nonetheless, they have this (laughs) foothold, foothold in the market where it's just, it's so dominant. So there's something to like there. It's whether that can ever be unlocked and and it just hasn't. Yeah. You flashed up that long-term chart. It's been a perennial dog for a Mm. long, long time. Various management teams have tried to unlock the value in the business. Um, And there's you know, a new management team right now trying to do it. So I went back to their, their last announcement was back in April, the investor day they held. Look, they're saying the right things. So I read that announcement they're talking about, as Henry said, they've got all these assets around the globe. Now they tried to go to the UK and other places. Um, you know, spinning those assets off, consolidating back to what they call their core business, which is highly, highly profitable, you know, 30 40% EBITDA margins on that core business, um, you know, focusing on the rule of 40, which for software businesses is the um, your, your revenue growth plus your EBITDA margin, you know, mm-hmm. you want to equal 40. And that's a, that's a very good barometer. I know it's a very rough um, sort of back-of-the-hand metric, but basically what it comes down to is you either – if you're gonna spend money to grow, you've got to grow fast. Or if you can't grow fast, you've got to be profitable. Yeah. And there's a, you know, there's a balance there that Iris hasn't hit in the past. So a focus on that is is good. Um, a focus on return on capital metrics, aligning their executives to the performance of the business. Again, I read this Investor Day presentation and you go through and, and you you get a little bit excited about what could happen, but we've seen this Investor Day presentation three or four times over the last decade. They've got to do it, and that's the thing. So I would hold it if you're there because, you know, I think at worst you, you probably have a bit of an opportunity cost. Uh, maybe just track sideways. It's it's cheap and you know, you'll get continue to get a divvy. If you're on the sidelines, though, you've got time. Wait and see. They they called out that the first round of the the restructures will be completed by 30 June. So when they report next week, we'll get an update on that. You know, how do those restructures go? What's the cost out look like? What's the, the new you know the run rate look like going into FY24? Um, you know, so I think you sit on the sidelines, keep an eye on it. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily just dismiss Iris just because of the of the past. I, I know the past has been checkered, like you said. But there is something there. Um, yeah. You know, you can see that in the numbers underneath. And, and I, I think you, you keep an eye on it and just wait and see whether this management team can be the ones to unlock it. So, so hold for the program, but, but you know, put it on your watch list.
1: Okay, fair enough. And uh, our last stock, a Cromwell Property, ticker code CMW, picked by Ben. And, uh, yes, we've got, we've got six minutes left. So, Henry.
0: God. Six minutes. I don't know how I'm going to fill that with this one. Uh, Cromwell, um, I have to say, talking relationships, this one's complicated. I looked through their last announcement. It's got more initials and more deals happening than you've seen ever. It's got the Cromwell Direct Property Fund, the CDPF. It's got a merger implementation thing going on with AUPL and AUDPF (laughs) and CDPF. I mean, come on, guys. This just sends your head spinning, doesn't it? I just... You know, it, it's small, it's yield. Yeah, great. Um, Too hard. Really? It's just I, I can't even get my head around all the, all the initials that these guys have. So, uh, yeah, no, not one that would pop up on my radar. It's, it's the same, I guess, as all the uh, attractions of all these property trusts. Uh, big is good. Uh, They tend to do deals between each other. In the old days, when I first started out uh, in Australia, when they were called property trusts, there were fund managers that were just specialists in property trusts. And all they did was switch between one and the other and one and the other constantly on the basis of just trying to tickle the yield on their fund slightly higher by playing the distribution game when the distributions were were due. Uh, That's changed, I guess, when we called them REITs. But it's still a sector that I I struggle with. They tend, tend to do deals between each other. Um, deals that I don't understand. So if you don't understand it, I'm with was. If you don't understand it, don't buy it.
1: Indeed. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Luke?
2: Um, It's actually a very good point from Henry that in the past you had a lot of these trusts were very simple. They own the assets. they you know, leased them out, had a spread on that, and then returned distributions to shareholders. But a lot of these big guys now are getting into the asset management part of the business. And, mm. and Henry pointed out they now run funds, you know, property funds underneath them, and collect management fees on that, which is a very different business. It's more akin to Magellan at the start of the program than a traditional REIT. Um, so they, they are getting more complex, and and how it's all accounted for, and where fees go, and then, um oftentimes you know they outsource the management of these funds and things like that. They can be very very convoluted structures. Um, To come back to Cromwell, it's a funny one. So I looked at the the headline numbers here and you see, you know, like seven times earnings and a 10% dividend yield. And, and I said before, talking about vicinity in Stockland, I think you should focus on that yield. 10% looks really attractive. And I sort of, you know, what's the catch here? And you open up the preso and the first thing you see is it's 65% office, um, which is, yeah. you know, something that what we just spoke about, Stockland and um, and vicinity um, give you very little exposure to that space. And um, there's a fair chance I think the market has probably overreacted to the, the death of the office. I, I don't think it will be as severe. But nonetheless, over the next couple of years it will be a volatile space as you see um, occupancy rates fall, but then also this you know this battle that will that will happen between large corporates and office REITs um, around the, the spreads on on releasing. I, I think you'll see them really come down it's a question yeah. about where they rebase. so I think the market's taking a shoot first ask questions later here with this one-hmm. If you're a very, very brave investor, I think you can maybe sit there and hope that yield sticks around. But I think this is the market's way of telling you that that yield probably comes down a yeah. little bit. It normalises around where we saw the other 67. Would, so, would, you,
1: would you sell it, Luke?
2: Yeah, I probably would. Okay. Um, like I said, I think the market's a bit too yeah. um, bearish on, on office, yeah. but I, a lot I just don't of like uncertainty. Indeed. It is. There is.
1: Indeed. Yeah.
2: Indeed. God, Probably look just to to hop out of this one.
1: Indeed. Okay. well, let's uh, just quickly summarise through the last five stocks today. And uh, well, we've got quite a few REITs here. So Stockland Group, both Henry and Luke, A little bit ho-hum, it's got a yield of 6.3%. It's got quite a lot of debt on its balance sheet. It's a diversified portfolio, but really two holds there at best. Uh, Vicinity centres, obviously we're moving to high-end shopping malls. Um, The high end of the market doing quite well. But nevertheless, again, Henry a hold doesn't really look at REITs. Luke just makes the point that the gearing is better here at about 25%, 6.5% yield. but a bit concerned around the NTA, so a hold as well. Uh, Heartland, you know, a New Zealand finance slash company slash bank. Uh, for Luke, really, if you want to get exposure there, probably look at buying the banks here in Australia. And uh, for Henry, no interest just makes the point that it trades by appointment, which, uh, you know, is never a good thing iris Uh, henry has had an acrimonious divorce with iris because they took away one of his favorite features so a hold at best on this one i mean it does have a very strong hold in the financial community uh, but the the software can be frustrating for luke um, he says possibly a hold because going ahead there's a new management team there may be some upside and looking at cromwell group well Both our guests make some really interesting points on that one. It looks quite convoluted. Uh, They've moved into sort of trying to be an asset manager as well as a property manager, but they've got, Luke says, 65% office exposure, which is obviously questionable in terms of valuations. And that 10% yield could be subject to coming down. So a bit of a value trap. Luke has a sell and uh, Henry pretty much has an avoid. Well, that was it for today on Friday's Call. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Luke. Henry, you're going to fly away. Are we going to see you next week?
0: Yeah, I'm still here.
1: Oh, you're still here. I get confused. Lovely. Well, have a great weekend, gentlemen. And thank you so much for all your insightful thoughts and comments today on the call. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. And any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us or post us. I think we should be saying at Ausbiz TV. And uh, I think that is it for the call today. But do not go away because there's lots more coming up uh, after the break here on Osbiz with the Pulse. <laughs>